0: Good morning, Great Oaks. Good morning. Yes. Yes. Don't know who it is, but yes, that's the welcome I should get every day. That's great. I love it. Hey, if you don't know who I am, if you're new to Great Oaks, I'm Pastor Chase. I'm the executive pastor here, and I'm excited to bring us week two of our psalm series. So last week, Jason opened us with psalms of praise, and today I'm bringing you the imprecatory psalms, and you might be like, what did he just say? All right, but we're going to talk about what that word imprecatory means in a minute. Uh, What you do need to know is that the psalm that we are looking at today, in 14, 15 years of ministry, I have never preached on this text, I have never taught on this text, minus the first time I did about an hour ago. So we're all in this together this morning, and you're going to find out why in a minute while maybe I've never taught or preached on this text, because it is a hard text that we like to just skip over. So let's pray for God's blessing on all of us, including myself. Dearly Father, God, we're just so glad we gather in the house this morning. As we get ready to look at um, a difficult text this morning, we pray that you be in the room the Spirit move. God, give me the words as your words are wise and mine are not. So God, we just thank you for who you are and we're just glad we can gather in as a family this morning in your house. Pray us on your name. Amen. So 10 to 12 of these psalms are considered imprecatory. Of all the psalms, 10 to 12 are considered this type of psalm. Now also, what you need to know about these psalms is these psalms show raw emotion. Now, let me talk about my preparation. I don't really spend a lot of time talking about my preparation, how I prepare for sermons. When I preach, normally I'll spend time in, you know... Bookstore, coffee shop in my door, office with the door closed, listening to film scores and just studying and writing. This one was not easy for me to preach on. Here's a couple reasons why. If you don't know this about the book of Psalms, the Psalms are poetry. If you want to guess, that is not my favorite form of literature. I don't sit at home reading haikus at night. I just don't. So the Psalms are also all about raw emotion and showing emotion. And I can tell you right now, I'm not one that likes to sit at home and be like, here's my feelings. So if you are a person, here, like, hey, I love sharing feelings. This is for you. Who in here is like, no, I don't want to catch those. Those are probably contagious. I don't want to talk about them. All right. So, yeah, I, I feel you. So as we talk about this Psalm this morning, that we avoid so much so, Here's what imprecatory means. Imprecatory means to utter curses or invoke curses. This is calling on God to lay waste or curse people. We we know from some of the other imprecatory psalms, Psalm 55 or 69, that even so much so, even if they be damned, we pray for that. These are hard texts. And this morning, the one we're going to look at is actually probably the hardest to look at. These psalms come out of a place of just despair and anger. And so as we talk about anger, let me ask this question first. How angry are we as people? How angry are we? You know, NPR says that 84% of people surveyed that Americans are angrier today compared to the previous generation. Now, Chris gave us a great message on anger two weeks ago, so I'm not going to go too much into anger, but this is part of how we pray. So how angry are we today? What are some of the common things that anger us today? Disagreements, relationships, maybe anger is the reason you're signing up for our our marriage seminar. It's a shameless plug, all right? What are the things that anger us? You know, when they surveyed this, when NPR did the survey, the younger generations answered the number one thing that brings out anger in them, you might want to take a guess at what it is. Social media. Okay. okay, now let's step back for a minute and let let me go ahead and say how ridiculous that is. First, that we allow something like that to make us angry, that we do that. But now, before we we you know, like, oh, those younger generation, we do the same thing. You just go to your coworker like, can you believe what they posted on Facebook? Psst idiots. That's what we say. And then we get mad about it. We do the same thing, and we are becoming an angry people. And so my next question is this, how do we deal with anger, church? How do we deal with anger? Because probably for a lot of us in here, when we get angry about something, we decide to go to someone else. And usually that someone else is that person that you know is going to have your back to the hilt. Usually you go to that person, it's like, man, if I tell them this person did this to me or said this about me, they're gonna be in the fight with me. They're ready to go. They'll be like, no questions asked, I'm in. These are what I call your ride or die friends. That's who they are. Actually, when you go to them, you say, hey, can you believe what this person said about me? They're the friend that probably looks at you and says, you mean that's all you've heard? They've said this and this and this? They throw the gasoline, let's go. For some reason, we don't like to go to that person It's gonna be like, hey, Maybe you're overthinking this. That's usually not our first go to. Or, hey, have you thought about this is a better situation way to handle this situation? For some of the kids in the room, maybe your first go-to isn't mom, because she's gonna try to calm you down. Church, and maybe the last place we go to is the place we should go to first. And if you only get one point today, please get this God can handle our anger. Some of us really struggle with this because what we've done in our society and culture today is we've taught kids, we've taught other adults, we've taught people in the workplace, hey, if you get mad about something, just shove it down. Bury that down. No one needs to hear about that. No one needs to know about that. Bury that down. And you're like, man, but if I go to God in prayer with my anger, man, he's not going to like that. We, we kind of, with that, we're kind of like, oh, like he doesn't already know? Like Seriously? We don't go to God with anger because we're like, oh, then he's going to know how I feel. Okay, let's back up a minute. He already knows how you feel. In fact, the Bible tells us there are times it's okay to get angry. Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, hey, when dealing with false teachers, be mad but do not sin. The problem that we have as people is we know how to be mad, we just don't know how the do not sin part happens. And so today, let's look at this imprecatory psalm that the psalmist is calling on curses from God, and let's see what it says. Verses 1 through 6 of Psalm 137. Beside the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept. As we thought of Jerusalem, we put away our harps, hanging them on the branches of the poplar trees. For our captors demanded a song from us. Our tormentors insisted on a joyful hymn. Sing us one of those songs of Jerusalem. But how can we sing songs of the Lord while in a pagan land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget how to play the harp. May my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth. If I fail to remember you, if I don't make Jerusalem my greatest joy. Now, as we stop there, you might be like, well, Chase, there's not much like harshness in there. Well, we're going to get there in a second. But I want to make sure we understand what's happening right now. So this psalmist is talking about a time the Jerusalem people, the Jews are in captivity in Babylon, all right? So Babylon has conquered Jerusalem. They've taken people in, and this psalmist is being tormented. We could draw the assumption that since he's probably a harp player, he might be from the Levite tribe. They're a little bit more musical with the temple. And so what this person's asking him is saying, hey, play songs of your land. Play songs of Zion and Jerusalem. And the offense that would be to this person because what he's asking for is play us the songs of the dwelling place of God. That's what that is to that person. And the mockery is happening. And so his response is, may my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth if I fail to remember you, if I don't make Jerusalem my greatest joy. So realize the level of mockery that's happening. And then here's what the psalmist continues with. Verse 7. "O oh Lord, remember what the Edomites did. If you Sidebar. They were supposed to be allies of Jerusalem, and they just sat on the sidelines and watched Babylon conquer them. Great friends. Okay. On the day of the armies of Babylon capture Jerusalem, destroy it, they yelled, level it to the ground. Oh, Babylon, you will be destroyed. Happy is the one who pays you back for what you've done to us. Here we go. Happy is the one who takes your babies and smashes them against the rocks. Yep, <laughs> yep, yeah, yeah, there we go. Oh, yeah. that's why I've never preached on this before. How do you handle that? How do we deal with that? This last week, as I was sitting around and talking with a couple people, I was actually talking to someone that's curious about being a believer and talking about what it means to, you know, come to the faith, not really a believer yet. And he asked me, What are you preaching on? And I said, Well, you know, here's what I'm preaching on, here's how it ends. And he looks at me and goes, Why is that in the Bible? And I'm like, good question. Why is it there? And, church, the reason it's here is I fully believe, as Jason talked about last week, you know, with talking about what Psalms is, the Lord's Prayer shows us how to pray in the New Testament. The book of Psalms shows us what to pray, what to do when we're sad, what to do when we're happy, and honestly, what to do when we're angry. Now, before anyone here starts throwing stones at the psalmist, Let's say this, who's ever been that mad before that they say things that, you know what, sound really awful? Because what you need to know, what's happened here, is Babylon conquered Jerusalem, not just conquered them. When they conquered that city, the king of Babylon had the sons of the king of Jerusalem killed in front of him and then took out his eyes so that was the last thing he saw. We know that from history and we know it from Scripture. To the Jewish people, Babylon was the epitome of evil. It was, sin was rampant. They laid waste to everything in Jerusalem. Everything, leveled it. And you might say, well, Chase, this psalmist is praying for that, but we know from Scripture that this is not how we should respond because actually even in Proverbs, Old Testament still says, don't rejoice when your enemies fall. Don't be happy when they stumble. Or how about Matthew 5? But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Church, and when we forget context, and we forget what's going on with the people, every Jewish person at this moment would have known from the oral story and oral tradition the promises of God passed down to them through Genesis chapter 12. When he told Abram, leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land I will show you. I'll make you a new great nation. I'll bless you and make you famous and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. So here's what's going on. The psalmist knows that. And he's watching the country he loved gone, decimated. And in fact, historians can argue that when this psalm was written is actually when the people of Jerusalem were freed from Babylon because the Persians conquered Babylon and not one single drop of blood was shed. And they be like, what? Are you serious? You see what they did to us and this is what happens to them? And so maybe that's where the anger from the psalmist is coming from. And again, I'll ask you. So the psalmist praised this harshly do we understand why maybe it's hard for us to understand why because of our context we don't know what it truly means to be in this moment to giving our raw emotion to God about what we've witnessed and the disaster and the travesty we've watched Maybe somebody that would actually understand this better would be Christians right now living in Ukraine. What this truly means to them. Church, we won't understand these psalms. When we do is when we recognize the evil that's happening. That's when we understand these psalms. Like I said before, Babylon to the Jewish people was seen as the very image of evil. And I said before that, yeah, when Persia conquered them, no blood should happen. But we do know that when the psalmist calls on this wrath of God, we know it does happen. Isaiah and Jeremiah both confirm this. And later we know after multiple times of Babylon being conquered by other nations, whether it's the Medes, the Assyrians, or the Persians, we do know that at some point there were young ones that were killed and families were killed. And the city was destroyed. We know this judgment happened. And the reason he's praying for this is because of the sight of the evil that he sees. And church, we have a, today have a problem with evil, I think, in our mind. And I think C.S. Lewis puts it best when he says this, we don't hate sin enough to get upset at the wickedness and the godlessness around us. Bombarded by so much media, evil, and violence, we've gotten accustomed to the darkness. Because what this psalmist is praying for, what's happening here. Is you have defamed God. You've made a mockery of God. So, God, do with it what you will. Blessed be the man. Doesn't say, blessed be me. Doesn't say, let me take vengeance. I leave that to God. And maybe we don't understand this enough because we don't hate sin enough to get upset at the wickedness or godlessness around us. In fact, N.T. Wright, who's a great theologian and still alive today, says it this way The new problem of evil that we face today is first, we ignore it when it doesn't hit us in the face. Second, we are surprised when it does. And third, we respond immaturely. Well, let me make that real to us. What is some evil that we see today? A couple times a year, we deal with the topic of mass shootings. Let's make it more evil. A couple times a year, we deal with school shootings, which is why we pray ahead to protection around our schools, our teachers, and our students every year. And for some reason, it surprises us when evil happens like this. And then we respond immaturely. What do we do? Oh, It's that person's fault. It's this policy's fault. It's this political rhetoric's fault. It's their position. It's this political party's fault. When somewhere along the line, no one said, hey, it's our fault because we're not going to God. We respond immaturely. There are times that we should take our righteous anger to God, but there's a difference between righteous anger and personal anger. Let me share a story with you. Uh, Back in June, when I was on sabbatical, I spent 12 days in Uganda, um, with a mission partner over there, and one of the places I went to, I was standing somewhere, and I was standing on this concrete pad, and I, I asked one of the students I was with, "Hey, what am I standing on?" And that student looked at me and said, "What you're standing on right now is a mass grave of 350 people." You know, and you first think, "Okay, 1915, 1920, 1830s, you know, when this happened? 2009." Uh, And that's the ones that we know are buried. We don't know where everybody else is at. We get shocked by this evil. And now, granted, in that moment, I could have prayed for a lot of things. Um, and there's times I don't do this well. This is actually one of the, probably the few times I did this well. What I prayed for that day was not for just vengeance or retribution for these people, What I prayed for that day is for us as the church and me as a pastor to truly understand what evil is and that we have the answer. I hope we know that. Do you want the solution to some of the problems, some of the most nasty things? You have it. It's not you. It's God. And it's the hope that we have in Jesus. And that's why the psalmist is praying so angrily and saying, hey, God, you do your judgment. Because what righteous anger is, is angers for others and injustice seen. We see great examples of this with Jesus, David, the Apostle Paul. Jesus is probably the most famous one we all know. When he entered the temple and he saw the money changers that were there, and he saw them being a barrier from Gentiles coming to know Jesus, getting to know God, flip the tables, didn't lay them aside, flip the tables in anger. But for us, because we're human, it's easy to let our righteous anger shift into a deeper sin for us. What would it look like if we left our anger with God? What would that look like? Because, church, what we know is this. Romans 12 says, dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. So yes, we go, to, we go to God in prayer, and especially when we're angry. And here's why we do that. I said before at the beginning, the main point of whole, the whole day is God can handle our anger. And the reason God can handle our anger is because justice is his. Not ours. And we struggle with this sense of justice because we think justice is eye for an eye. We think justice... Is what's been done to me should be done to them. You know, we we like to talk about the love of God and the love we have in Jesus until probably that love sometimes is spread to our enemy. And then it's like, oh, really, God? Really? And that love is for everyone. That is the reason why He is the just one. He's not just love. There is wrath, and we see that. We see that in this text. We see that later in the prophets. God is even-handed, and he is just. We are not. We cannot be just. And I promise you, I know for fact we can't be just. I've tried it. Some of you in here might be like me, that can keep emotions kind of below the surface, keep even keel, try to stay even-handed, and be like, all right, it doesn't affect me, and I can make rational decisions when I need to. I promise you, even if you're really good with your emotions, you still can't be just. Why? Because I know that every one of us in here has something that's like, oh, that person? No. No. That sin? No. I'll be real for you for a second. You harm a child? No. Nope. That's why he is just and not me. God can handle our anger because he is just. Church, most of our internal struggles we have today come from a shallow and narrow view of who God is. That's where most of our struggles come from today. Because we say the things like, oh, God is perfect. God is omnipresent, omnipotent. He's all-powerful, all-knowing. He's everywhere. We, we We say these things. He's loving. He's merciful and just. We say those things, but do we truly believe them? because I don't think we'll let God handle our anger until we trust him. Romans chapter five says this, Paul writes, but God showed us his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us. While we were still sinners, and since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God has, was, was restored by the death of his son, while we were still the enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. The wrath that we talk about in these imprecatory psalms, the wrath that's called on the evil, understand that we were deserving of that wrath. We're not the best obedient people in the world. But what happened? God said, here, here is my mercy. Here is my son. And the wrath we deserved, which is the same everyone deserved, was absorbed by the cross. So, how are we dealing with anger? How are you doing with anger? How do you handle it? Are you going to continue going to those friends that just, you know, pour gasoline on it? We're gonna start going to God. When I was preparing for this sermon, um, really nothing was working to really get me some notes in my head. So I did something I don't really do often with sermon prep. I went on a prayer walk. Uh, we have 40 acres of property at Great Oaks that you know you can walk. We have trails by the way, if you don't know that, so feel free to use them. And I, I walked down to our pond. Um, okay, I'm being generous with the title of pond. Um, if you know what I'm talking about, you know why I say that. It's kind of like a swamp. Um, and uh, as our pond is nice and uh, covered in this lovely thick film of green algae, yes, we've tried to treat it, calm down, all right? I was standing down there, and I was just praying. And I picked up a couple rocks because I don't like being idle, so I like to do things. So, I, you know, can't really skip rocks on the, the skim on top of the pond. So I was, you know, throwing rocks in the pond. So the coolest thing, and this is just me as a kid, all right? As the rock hit this water and went through the algae... A hole was formed, and then all of a sudden, the algae went right back. And I'm like, wow, our pond is bad. (laughs) Not stepping foot in there. But then it it started catching with me. We do the same thing with our anger. We promise ourselves, hey, I'll react better next time. And we make that dent, but all of a sudden, it just rushes back. Oh, hey, I won't lose my temper about this next time. I'll respond better next time. Church, until we realize that we have to give our anger over to God, we ain't going to clean that up. I don't care how awesome your marriage is even. Your spouse cannot handle all of your anger. God can. Students in here, I don't care how awesome your mom and dad are, and they might be awesome. They can't handle all your anger, but God can. That's how we clean that up. So, with this psalm today, imprecatory psalms, calling on cursings from God, do we use them today? Should we use them today? And here's what I'll say to you yeah, it should happen today. We should pray like this today. And here's why we say that. One of the core values of Great Oaks is unhindered faith. So my question is, do we have enough unhindered faith to fully believe that we can trust God with our anger? That we can call on God because we see an injustice and say, God, you deal with this. We know that you are righteous. You are just. You deal with this. Now, granted, we've already talked about a difference in personal anger and righteous anger. So if you're going to God, because here's how how we really are, church. God, that person said something about me. I hope, they, I, I hope you smite them. God, I can't believe they got that promotion instead of me. Have you seen their work, God? They are a horrible employee. I hope our boss knows that. Show him the, show him the wrongs of his ways. That's how we pray. Those are the ridiculous things. Oh, Moms in here, let's be real. Some of my hardcore sports moms, you might pray, God, God. Hmm. I don't know how that Johnny kid got picked over my son for the baseball team. He is awful. I see him pick grass every day in the outfield. He has no talent. My son does. Guys, that's that that is the selfishness of our prayer. And the problem with that is we don't see the evil that's in our world today. That's why we get surprised by it. Guys, there are people out there that are being killed. There's people out there that don't have clean water. There's people out there that do not know Jesus. But for some reason, we are praying angrily because we didn't get a 50 cent an hour raise and someone else did. So yes, we should pray like this. But we should pray about injustices for other people and nations and for God's will to be done. And then the second thing we do is we do it with complete honesty, Complete honesty. Because I said this before and I alluded to it, it's not like God doesn't already know. It's not like when we go to God angry, he'll be like, oh man, I never knew you were that way. But church, even though I make a joke or light of it, here's really something we need to get, get from this. When we're honest with God, which he already knows it, it does something amazing. We start to pour out our soul. And we know someone else is there. And we know that our creator that loves us, that is just, that sent his son, is in the moment with us. Just because we're being vulnerable and honest. Maybe a lot of us in this room that struggle with anger today need to do that. Maybe it's time to talk about feelings a little bit. Third, most importantly... We leave it with God. That's where we leave it. Do we trust him? Now, I'm not naive. Some of us in here might be battling some really hard things. And for those of you that might have some anger things going on in your life because maybe there's some past trauma, there's reason why we have skilled counselors. And you might need to talk that stuff out more. There's a reason we have people like that that God has gifted but for some of us in here that are angry, and maybe, you know, let's, let's just make it real. Let's apply it to today. Maybe you're angry at your parent because of how they raised you. Maybe you're angry at your kid because they're not walking the way they should, and now they're out on their own, and they are completely lost. And it infuriates you. Maybe you were angry this morning at the spouse sitting next to you. Because for some reason, you think they should get something that they just don't get. Maybe you are angry in your job. Because you cannot stand the person that's working next to you, is beside you, beneath you, above you. And you are just starting to hate life and it's coming home. Leave it with God. We're going to close in a song today called It Is Well, which is kind of the inverse of the the psalm today. They don't write a song with bashing babies on the rock, FYI. I looked it up. They didn't have one. It's one of the psalms they skipped when they wrote the hymnal. Um, So when we talk about It Is Well, there's a line from It Is Well that says this, Through it all, my eyes are on you. Through it all, my eyes are on you. That's my prayer for you. That's my prayer for myself. That no matter what we go through, no matter how angry we are, even with our righteous anger, that through it all, my eyes are fixed on God. Because if they are, it is well. You have a card with you in your chair this morning. And it's uh, got a block on it. I obviously, oh, oh, there's mine. There's a square on it. Hopefully it's big enough for all the anger we got. All right. Write down on here what is frustrating you or just completely is making you angry that you need to give over to God today. There's one pin in the row, so make sure you guys share with each other. And so what's going to happen is you guys write these out. The band, I'm going to call it Dave and the family band today. They're going to come out. And as they play this last song, take these to the lower stage and leave them here. And if you do that this morning, leave it here. Here. Now, so you know what we're going to do with this. We, as a staff, are going to pray over these. We're not going to look at all these individually start like prejudging. No, we're just going to pray over them all, and then we're going to get rid of them because that's what we need to do. Now, for some of us in the room that are going to write something down here that's traumatic, and you're like Chase, I don't know if I can lay it down because I got so much stuff to work through. We got prayer workers on the side wall. Go pray with them. Go talk with them. If you need other resources, come speak to Jason, myself, Paul. We'll get you connected with the resources you need to work on this. So this morning during this last song, write it down. Lay it down and leave it. Because through it all, our eyes should be fixed on him. And if they are, it is well.